Let's pray together. <clears throat> our Lord and our God, we thank you for another day, and uh, especially another Lord's Day. We thank you for a uh, place to gather as your people and to worship you. And uh, we pray for your enabling as we seek to do so today in the various ways. Um, we pray here now for the Sunday school hour that you would uh, bless our our time together and that you would give us a, a greater ability to understand your word as you have given it to us. And so we pray these things in, in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, we've, uh, of course, been talking about uh, the how to study the scripture theme here, and we've been looking at uh, three different genres, beginning with uh, the parables, and then the proverbs, and now here another P. Uh, this is not pericope or periscope; it's uh, pericope is how it's pronounced, and big fancy word, but simply it's referring to the the uh, sections that we find. And it, it really, you can see this throughout the scriptures. You can see that there are various sections that are placed together and so forth. And uh, you see it in the Old Testament. You see it um, in the New Testament. And, but where we primarily emphasize pericopes are in the Gospels. And, uh, and so as we look at each one of them, obviously we need to study them. We need to understand them in and of themselves. But um, you might say the key... Um, skill here is how do they fit together? And so last time uh, we turned to Mark 10. Let's turn there again. And uh, we looked at each of the different sections and the main idea in each section and then especially how they related to one another. And so in Mark chapter 10, um, we see, uh, first of all, the teaching about divorce and remarriage, and then it's uh, followed immediately by this teaching regarding little children. Um, now, obviously it makes sense if you're going to talk about marriage to then talk about children, but there's a bigger idea going on here. Uh, the first section, uh, basically you talk about those who are not acting humbly like children, not being dependent, being uh, uh, not depending on God, being more self-centered. And so this theme is kind of back and forth through the chapter. You see a self-centered focus in the first section. You see depending on God in the next. And then the rich young ruler doesn't depend. Okay? Um, and the, some will put these together here, even all the way down through verse 31. And so again, Salvation is impossible for the rich. They can't go through the camel's eye because they tend not to depend on the Lord. They tend to be self-focused. Um, and then the first, last, last, first idea, this is what it means to be like a little child. You're trusting in the Lord and God is going to bless you and so forth. And it continues all the way down here. Uh, Christ depends on the Lord. Um, James and John do not. <laughs> okay, they want to be first. And that, but Jesus does. And here we have the theme, verse 45 especially, the idea of serving. Uh, and then we end here with someone who is depending on the Lord, blind Bartimaeus. But uh, it also has this idea of spiritual sight. Christ gives him the ability to see physically. But if you're going to depend on the Lord to be like the little children and so forth, if you're going to uh, 
Um, can you say praise and live by this ideal of the last will be first and the first will be last, the idea of service? Uh, that takes spiritual sight because that's not what we typically want to do as sinners. And uh, certainly the unbelieving world doesn't do that. So we're not influenced by the world in that way, but uh, rather away from these ideas toward selfishness. All right, so again, our point here is we can look at each one of these sections and we can learn from them, but we have to see how they fit together because there's an overall theme here. All right, now, the next thing I want us to do in this regard is to look prior to chapter 10. Now, we could go all the way back to chapter 1, and we can do this, but we're not going to. But what do we see just before chapter 10? What are um, what teachings do we see here? that thought just a minute it, t- it connects us down here to James and John doesn't it and their desire to be first yep yep So obviously it's not acting like little children. And in fact, it's acting in such a way to harm little children and other people. You know, little ones certainly would refer to children, but you might say those who are little or weak or small in the faith uh, could be part of the application there too. Okay. Uh, Susan.
Yeah. And yeah, and and note the back-to-back contrast. Even even here, you know, he came to die. James and John, hey, I, we want to be great. I came to serve. So yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I'll actually expand on those points today. So, <laughs> yeah. But <clears throat> again, our, our point here is to do you see how all this is flowing together. And we really could go back to chapter one and uh, see how things fit together. Now, you're going to see um, subdivisions. You're going to see certain themes. And then it kind of goes in a very different direction. Um, But that said, even those, you can see some connection. So let's turn now to after chapter 10. What do we see following chapter 10? triumphal entry so on the one hand you could say okay totally new section this is passion week this is the final uh, section of the book Um, and that would be true but let's also then ask the question how does the triumphal entry fit with what we've seen here in chapter 10 yeah Joe Okay. Okay. All right. Yes, they are praising him for being great. He is the Messiah, basically, they're saying. Okay. Psalm 118, among other, other things. All right. How else do we see connections? What did Jesus sit on? Did he sit on a stallion, a war horse? Do you see how he's coming humbly? He is saying, I am king by sitting on this donkey. That's what David did. That's what Solomon did. He's saying, I'm king. But especially in the first century they were looking for someone who was going to conquer Caesar and the Romans and so on he's like I'm not doing it that way I'm coming to serve I'm coming uh, with the attitude of a child you might say even though I am great and I'm coming to die so you know especially we could point to all this but you see he's coming to die and this idea of service 
and so on. So that's, that's one way we can see how it fits logically. Um, again, not just, all right, this is the last week and, and so forth, but uh, he fits it together in this way. Um, any other thoughts? Yeah, Susan. Could include the cursing of the fig tree in what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, I heard one time, I think it was even all the way back in seminary, um, maybe before, it's been a while. Anyway, the, the definition of gentle. And we often hear people say gentleness means meekness, being a doormat or something to that effect. And actually, if you're going to gentle a horse, you are controlling something that's very powerful. And so the, the book or whatever it was I was reading defined it as humble strength. It takes strength to truly be humble. And you must use your strength humbly. And that's what true gentleness is. And we see that here with Christ, which fits with what you're saying. Um, well, there's one other thought I had here in this regard. Um, we see, especially um, uh, in uh, verses 6 and following, okay, um, and, and in particular starting in verse 8, where everybody is saying, hey, this is the Messiah. Everybody's excited, putting down their coats and branches and saying these words from Psalm 118. And yet a few days later, they're then shouting for his death. Okay. If we're going to say that Jesus is the Messiah, we need true sight, don't we? We need spiritual sight. Okay. We are blind in regard to spiritual things uh, in and of ourselves. But of course, we need the Spirit to give us that spiritual sight. So I think we can make some connections in that way, too. Um, yes? Does the scripture wording indicate that's the same people? Well, certainly, well, to answer your question, it's not that specific. But I think as you look at uh, the flow of thought in these last chapters, that the assumption is that some of them were. 
even even mobs can do something good. <laughs> Most of the time they don't, <laughs> but yes, um, they get caught up in the the fervor and excitement, whichever direction it is. Um, and I would say that that's uh, uh, true in both cases. That some on Thursday and Friday got caught up in the fervor and then, you know, repented of that, you know, by God's grace. Um, and even if they weren't the same people, still as real. <laughs> right. They're all as real. Yeah. Still as real. Yeah. All right, let's turn then to Matthew chapter 19. All right, one of the, uh, I guess you could say, additional aspects of interpreting the Gospels is not just, okay, what is that section of teaching and then how do they relate to each other? Um, before and after and so forth. But how does it also then compare to what we see in the other Gospels? Comparing pericope to pericope, using the fancy term here. So so here in Matthew 19, you'll see in uh, verses 1 to 10 especially, this teaching about marriage and divorce. Now, we don't have time to get into all the details here. And again, that's not the main point. But as you read what Matthew says, and you compare that to what Mark says, there are obviously things that are identical, but then there are some things that are different. So if you look at verse 9 especially, it says, Whoever divorces its wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Um, but if you uh, look back at Matthew, or sorry, Mark chapter 10, okay, it does not say that. Okay, in Mark 10, um, verse 11, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. That's it. There's no exception given. So uh, one of the challenges we face is, well, how do we put this together? How do we understand it? Some people will say, well, Mark, we think, was written first, so this was the original idea. Jesus didn't allow for any exceptions. Um, I think you get into a lot of trouble once you start going down that path of reasoning. Um, I think it's just Mark, for whatever reason, didn't emphasize the point. Matthew, for whatever reason, did. And we put them together. These these uh, different teaching sections in the different Gospels, you, you kind of pile them up, as it were, and you put all the different facts together, and that's going to be your understanding, our understanding of the section. Okay, this maybe we see most clearly in regard to the resurrection. Right? One says one angel, one says one man, one says two. You know, how, where, When did Mary Magdalene come? Was it before the other women or with them? I mean, there's... There's questions here, but the point is you take these same teaching sections and you kind of overlay them, and, and that'll give you the fuller understanding of what's going on. doesn't mean it'll answer all the questions, but it, it certainly gives us a fuller picture of the teaching of Jesus. As I've mentioned here in the last couple of weeks, 
Um, it is quite likely that Jesus said these things on more than one occasion. Even this teaching of marriage and divorce, where it does specifically come in verse 2 from the Pharisees, it is quite likely that Jesus said something about this on more than one occasion. Now, the parables or some of the other teachings, we can say, yeah, well, there's every reason to believe it. But even in something as specific as this, it's probable that Jesus taught it on more than one occasion in more than one place. And so that accounts for some of the differences. Uh, Joe, did I see your hand? Well, just as I compare the two, and Mark, it seems to me that he's saying like a, you know, scenario like a, you know, a guy in his middle ages and, you know, his legs put on some legs and all of a sudden he sees a, a gorgeous 20-year-old woman and forgets you, I'm going to fish out the book. Whereas... Well, there have been several suggestions over the years as to the difference, and uh, uh, that may be true. My purpose here, again, is not to dwell on those issues, though they're important, but just to help us to see this task of studying pericopes, these teaching sections, especially in the Gospels, but even elsewhere. Um, we Part of what we're doing is comparing them from uh, one Gospel to the next. All right, now let's keep going here, and you'll see, um, I'm still on Mark, back in Matthew um, chapter 19, he's talking about celibacy and then blessing the little children, and then the rich young ruler, and the first will be last, there you see the end of the chapter, you see how we're, we have the same basic teaching sections, okay, now, it continues into chapter 20. Uh, you see again, is predicting his death and um, Zebedee's sons. Um, and notice how it's the mother that's the focal point here in Matthew compared to Mark. Um, and it isn't just the one man receiving sight, the end here, verses uh, 29 and following, but there are two men. And then that comes to the next chapter with the triumphal entry. Okay. Now what's added here in this section? N not just, you know, some minor differences, but what, what's the biggest difference in Matthew compared to Mark? Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, we see, um, I guess I would put in the category of minor differences when you said about, like, uh, the James and John's mother 
or the two blind men. Okay, but in a more major difference would be here in Ma- uh, Matthew 19 verses 11 and 12. Okay, the idea of of uh, celibacy being a eunuch and so forth for the sake of the kingdom. That's a, a clear addition. Obviously, it fits in this context of marriage and divorce and then little children. And so it fits in that context. Um, how does this teaching about celibacy fit in with our overall theme that we've seen uh, in this broader section? Note especially there, uh, about halfway through verse 12, there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. So they're acting like children, you might say. They're depending on the Lord, not on things here on earth. And it's fine to depend on our family to some degree. Um, But the eunuch is not going to do that. He's going to focus on uh, his relationship with the Lord. So he's going to serve. He's going to be last, you might say, in that regard. So that'd be one key difference. Yeah, Susan. Yeah, I would agree that that's at least one of the implications. Um, today we might say the gift of singleness to highlight some of what you're saying. It's it's uh, something that God does call some people to, to be, to be single their whole life, whether man or a woman. Um, but it uh, it is an exception. Sums it up, yes. So what is our other difference here in Matthew? Other main difference. Again, there are some smaller ones. Yes, Luke. Yeah, yeah, we go from uh, this one 
to this one, or these two, I should say, down to here um, in Mark. Yeah. So uh, you'll see then beginning in chapter 19, verse uh, 23, <clears throat> down to the end of the chapter, right? all things are possible with God. Um, the camel eye there in uh, verse 24, uh, first will be last, all the way down to verse 30. And then in chapter 20, verse 17, we have the prediction of his death. So in the, in the middle, then, we have the parables of the workers in the vineyard. So that is our addition. Maybe I'll write these in here. So those are the two... Two main differences. So then, how does the workers in the vineyard parable fit into this overall theme? Why did Matthew say, hey, this works really well in this broader context? Yeah, so we end chapter 19, verse 30 with that, and we end this section of verse 16 with the same words. So here's an example, basically, of, of someone who is last, chosen at the end of the workday, and he's still getting paid the same amount as everybody else. The last will be first in this sense. Um, if you were to actually uh, work out the value of, of how much somebody would earn in a day, um, well, if the last ones are going to get a full whatever piece of silver, then the ones who worked all day should get a whole lot more. Um, so here's an example of that. And so then, again, this idea of depending on the Lord, not being self-centered, right, all that is, is part of the overall message here. <laughs> point the next section is the prediction of his death all right so certainly that would fit with this overall theme all right so we see this connection then from one gospel to the other very many similarities some minor differences some more major differences but still not you know totally different and it's fitting in uh here in matthew a couple other teachings that fit with the overall theme. Yes, Susan. Um, is it intended that 
It's all of grace. Yeah. <laughs> For everyone. Yeah, we often say in our house, um, the things that children do, uh, adults do the same thing, we just do it with more sophistication. So if the brothers are fussing and say, well, you know, <clears throat> I did it first, you know, I had it first, and they start bickering with each other, it's like, well, we do the same thing. We just tend to be a bit more subtle about our <laughs> self-centeredness. Um, well, let me have us then look. We, we know, I, I mentioned briefly, what follows uh, these two chapters in Matthew. Again, it's a triumphal entry, so just like in, in Mark. But what precedes this? What's in chapter 18? Is it the same as Mark in uh, Mark 9, or is it different? What'd you say? Nothing. I just laughed because oh. the beginning of the chapter says Okay. Well, and to add what you said, look at verses 2 and following, right, about little children. So there's that idea as well. Um, yeah, and then you have the parable of the lost sheep uh, there. And then how do you deal with the sinning brother? And then notice, how does the chapter end? What's the pericope? What's the teaching section here at the end of the chapter? Look at verses 21 to 35. Here's the parable of the unforgiving servant. So that expands on verses 15 and following, right? But you see then how Mark says, right, don't cause the little ones to stumble. If you do, right, look out. You're going to be judged. And that spills right into the issue of marriage and divorce. And, of course, obviously marriage and divorce can cause children to stumble. Um, but in Matthew, he says all that, and then he has an extended teaching about forgiveness. And then he comes to the issue of, of uh, marriage and divorce. So back to the difference between Mark and Matthew on the exception for divorce. Do you see how Mark, if you do this, there's judgment. Matthew says, but there is forgiveness. Okay? Even sexual morality is a possible exception in the issue of divorce. Um, we, we are weak, yes, uh, but we should be forgiving. 
Um, so it seems like Matthew has a little bit more, I don't know if tenderness is the right way of saying it, but uh, he's accounting for more factors in these kinds of scenarios. Um, but clearly, if you're going to have a good marriage, you have to forgive one another, or it's just not going to work. <laughs> not well. Um, and if there is no forgiveness, if we are self-centered, then it's certainly harmful to the children. We're not acting like little children, and we're not serving the kingdom, and, and so forth. So, again, you see how as we compare one to the other, we see some of these differences. Yes, yeah, Susan. Well, verse 35 would would then, point us there, yeah. Again, it says that first, then it comes to the ruler. The ruler for his is death. And it says that he couldn't pay. There's no way he could ever pay. Yeah, Million, millions of dollars, basically. Yeah. And he says he's totally forgetting that that's just wiped all up. Yeah. But then he felt what it rightly be that we should interpret that. And to, to complete the comparison, the man he threw in jail owed him just a few hundred bucks in comparison. Yeah. And that's not to minimize people's sins against us. But, yeah. Right, yeah. And that takes true sight, doesn't it, to understand those kinds of things. That takes dependence on God to, to live that way. Yeah, and to... As you've said before, basically act like God. We've done this several times here last week and this week where you know, there's do you see all these connections? You know, it, it's so easy for us to isolate a teaching section, abstract it, talk about it, and have some very good things to say. But as you see how it all fits together, okay, even going back to chapter 9, chapter 11, you know, and then as we've done here in Matthew, it gives us a fuller understanding of, of what God has for us. Yes, Michelle. So if you do that in real life, 
Well, I guess uh, one thought comes to mind is what your mom said a little bit ago about as we, we spill into the triumphal entry, there's this, can you say, juxtaposition of the humility of Christ and the greatness of Christ. Um, I, I use the definition of humble strength. Uh, there is a strength. There is, there is a place for us to stand up for what is right. There is a place for righteous anger. Um, and uh, insisting on um, or stymieing the work of the enemy or something to that effect. There's a place for that. Um, <laughs> hey, I think Dale read, rang the bell. It's time to quit. <laughs> Well, I, <laughs> obviously that's an important and difficult question. Um, I think to some degree, and I don't mean this as a cop-out, but I do, I do think it depends on the situation. I think there are many factors that would go into that. Um, and sometimes it might be the right thing to do to stand up and resist what they're doing. And other times it might be the right thing just to turn the other cheek and move on. And, uh, and, and be stomped on. But I'm not sure we can say across the board, right, when do you throw, stop throwing pearls to swine, when do you turn the other cheek? I mean, those are seemingly contradictory ideas, but they're both obviously for us to follow. As a minor example, somebody asked me one time, this was several years ago, somebody had backed into their vehicle. And they're like, well, what should I do? Should, should I make an issue of it or just move on? Because it's just a small dent. Wasn't, it was noticeable. It wasn't that big a deal. And my response was, well, is this person prone to do that kind of thing? <laughs> if so, maybe insisting on them owning up to it is a good idea. But if they're you know, completely oblivious or whatever then maybe it's okay to move on uh, but I, I think it it can be challenging to know when to do this but to fit in with what you're saying after the throwing pearls to swine section Jesus says take the plank out of your eye so you know that that fits there well we better quit <laughs> um, so um, uh, but it obviously a challenging question Michelle and um, lots of prayer, certainly, to know what's best. Um.
All right, well, let's pray then. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you teach us. And again, we, we pray that we have now grown in our, our knowledge and ability to understand your word better. And uh, we pray that you would help us to apply these skills um, and that we would uh, know your truth and live by it and thus be more like you in it all. We do pray for wisdom as um, you call us to forgive and uh, to be like little children and to be dependent on you and to serve and so forth and help us to, to, to do that as well as to know when uh, the, the most serving thing to do is to stand up against sin. Uh, so we pray for your wisdom in that. We pray now for our worship, that you would bless it, and that you would be honored and glorified uh, in our time together here this morning. And we pray all these things then in Jesus' name. Amen. 